I had no frame of reference about death in a family, let alone suicide, and I was consumed with fear. Welcome to Precarious Parenting, the podcast series for people feeling overwhelmed by family life in general. Do you often wonder whether you're doing it right? Or do you wonder whether it's okay to be just a good enough parent? My name is Marie Arimar, founder of Realization Works, guiding young people and parents back to clearer thinking. And this podcast series provides the opportunity to hear real people sharing real stories about how they manage to see beyond their overwhelm. So welcome to this episode of Precarious Parenting and I'm talking with my sister and my nephew, so Claire Arimar and Barney Hayter and we're talking about the, the effects following a death by suicide in our family. So Barney, could you tell us what happened? Okay, so 2005, um, we lost my dad, Mark, to suicide, um, all very sudden, kind of out of nowhere, um, and it's brought on by a a kind of accumulation of mental health issues and and, um, some what of a traumatic childhood whole lot of background there that you know very hard to get into but um yeah so that was kind of the main introduction and then since then we've just been kind of dealing with it on a day-to-day basis yeah I remember it I remember it very well that that day I do I really do and so Claire you know when we heard of Mark's death and then immediately thereafter what happened for you? What were your fears? What was it? What was it like when you knew you had to tell them, the boys? And then, what were your fears for them as your sons? So I took a phone call from their grandmother, the Mark's mother, and uh, it was eleven o'clock in the morning. The first thing I did was. Uh, well, I just didn't know what to do, really. So I think one of the first things I did actually was phone you, Marie, because I just, in that moment, I needed as much backup as I could get, as much people in the fold as I could get. And then I thought about it. And then I, as I looked at the boys in a room playing and I thought, oh my God, I'm just about to tell them something that will take them on a path that's not going to be good. Well, you know, that's what I thought at that time. I could see no good coming out of it whatsoever. And my biggest fear was around Toby, who was just a teenager, coming up to being a teenager. So I lied. I told them both that they had, he died in a car crash. And then my husband at the time said to me, you can't do that. That, That's not fair. You can't do that. And I fought against him and said, I'm not doing it. I'm not telling them. I'm not telling them. I'm not telling them the truth. And uh, and then about half an hour to an hour later, he, he said, if you don't, I will. So he gave me an ultimatum and I went back and told them again but it was the it is still to this day the scariest thing i have ever done in my life nothing even comes close to it mm. do you remember that day barney yeah really well i remember it um, uh, I'm, i don't remember the exact details couldn't tell you what i was wearing but <laughs> i i remember i remember it well i remember i remember mine and toby's reactions more than anything 
mine is very much of just kind of shock you know just crying for the sake of it as opposed to really understanding what you're upset about but Toby's was a lot different but I suppose like mum said he is a teenager and it's a very it's a very different experience at that age yeah it was a bit of a double whammy you've just reminded me Toby's reaction straight away was I knew it I knew you were lying and he knew Mm. I don't know how he knew, don't know, you'd have to ask him that, but he knew that he had, from the moment I told him, he knew I wasn't telling the truth and he knew it was something far worse, as if there could be worse, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so I really remember that, Toby saying, I knew it, I knew you were lying. Mm. And so, and, and, and understandably, you know, I don't think there's anybody who could listen in and, and have any judgment on why you decided to break the news the way you did. And, um, and then you and then you went back and you told them the truth but, but from what i saw claire you very clearly early on made a decision to focus on the boys emotional development above anything else you were so clear about it and can you talk to me about that so i because it was a complete unknown i i had never i don't think in our family we had ever experienced grief up until that point of anyone close to us at all we had not had a grief a bereavement in our family so i had no frame of reference about death in a family let alone suicide and i was consumed with fear i was just so fearful i can't i can't tell you and it, i i i just I just couldn't get it out of my head that this was going to be awful and that there was no good would come of it. So I thought the only way that I could make to make them okay was to just channel everything I had into them just to, to be, con I was consumed with it. I don't even think it was a conscious thought. I was just consumed with those boys not being hurt. And as time went on, I, other fears came along, you know, along, along the way. And um, I spent many years thinking Toby might do it. I went through a period of time. He got quite low when he was in his late teens. Um, and things change all the time, but that's never changed. And that's still the case now. I don't think I'll ever drop that baton until they've all left home. That's, that's genuinely my thought process. So how did, how did that show itself then? You focusing on their emotional development, how... What did that mean as a mum that you you did or you changed or you focused on? So in the first instance, I just, as I said, I got people like you round. I got people that were Jane Sokol, who is a cousin of theirs, people that were very close to them. I, I sort of enveloped them in family. That was my first course of action. And uh, you, you were up within hours, you know, people were around them. And then I called in the big guns, you know, like Penn Halligan's friend and Cruz bereavement and everything that was open to me. And then I just literally... Um, I think my mistake is I never grieved myself. I think that was a mistake. I just always put it to the back of my mind so that when I spent time away from the boys, it would over my own grief would overwhelm me because I wasn't dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis. But it, I just wanted them to be, be well. I just didn't want them to be hurt. It was such a massive thing. And uh, I remember at the funeral, everybody, everybody focusing their attention on those two boys. And I just thought, this is so uncomfortable for them. They, they, must, feel, they must feel like the hot topic. Do you know what I mean? 
I wanted it to be normal, as normal as it could be for them. Which is a, which is how do you ever say what's normal in that situation anyway? Yeah. So, Barney, what was your view of the way Claire focused on your emotional development? Because your relationship with your mum is is different to Toby's, isn't it? It's you. You both have a really close relationship, but they're very different forms of relationship, aren't they? Yeah, I would say mum was definitely kind of the only reason that I really got through it because it was, I don't know, it's so strange at that age. I remember like almost seeing the paths that me and Toby took almost separate out in front of me um, with this kind of Toby going into this this kind of angry, um, kind of rage-based form of grief. And then I kind of seeing that and not not relating to it in any way. And that's with mum, I kind of found, uh, you know, a, a partner for that, that someone who is, you know, promoted, she very much promoted talking about it and she very much promoted allowing yourself to feel rubbish, like which I think is like in, in hindsight is the best thing that she could have ever done because if you deny it, then you'll never make progress in it. It is, it, it require it is grieving is something that requires work, especially when it's suicide, because there's so much to try and get your head around and try and understand. And I think the way that she did it was like perfect for me because I, I, I felt that we were very much in it together, that, that I was never, I, uh, there's something very isolating about, about losing someone to suicide because there's such a lack of understanding. You never feel, you never feel that anyone gets it. Even if you meet someone else that has lost someone to suicide, even the exact same way, everything you don't, there, there's a lack of understanding because it's such a personal thing. And to have someone going on that journey of kind of morbid discovery um is is was the ideal because i i it never was a between us it was never a shameful topic i never i never felt that i couldn't talk about it and i never felt that i wasn't supported in how i felt about it hmm. and how do you think that this may f- seem like an obvious question but how do you feel that that has helped you develop Barney as a into your own adulthood? Um, I think it's helped in the fact that because it was never it was never like a shameful kind of taboo subject. It was never there was never any stigma around the conversation of suicide, and I think it's it's taught me uh, very much to be empathetic. I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway that I've had. And it would, I, it would not be like that if mum hadn't addressed it in the way that she did. The, the, the kind of support structure that she put in was so adaptive that if you felt like you're in the foulest mood, you just wanted to stay in bed and cry all day, it was accommodated and vice versa. If you, if you wanted to talk about it or, you know, you wanted to just, you know, really kind of get into it and have like a heated discussion about it. It was there. And I think in kind of the going forward with that kind of into where I am now, I suppose like suicide, dealing with suicide is like a fatigue. 
it, it is it comes in waves it, it is you might feel it for an hour you might feel it for 30 seconds like it it and it's the way that you address it and being objective with how you deal with it that I've learned from me and mum's kind of process with it I think mm, that's lovely uh, you've said you've said such lovely things dealing with suicide is like a fatigue talking about the isolation and the fact that we're in it together yeah Claire Toby uh, I mentioned this on the uh, radio show we did once uh, Toby said and I thought this really stuck with me Toby said uh, some days I, I feel nothing M for months I feel nothing and then one day I feel everything I feel everything in one hit it and I, I think I, I would agree with that I think that's how it is you never yeah. feel it a bit you either feel it massively or not at all yeah yeah I I would say that I do disagree with that. I, I there are times that it is a lingering thought that it is not a. There are times where I literally cannot get onto my feet because it is so intense. And the, the thing is that as time goes on, the they become less frequent. But certainly, you do feel it some days more than others. But I wouldn't say that I feel it when I feel it, I feel it all. But maybe that is part of the process that we've gone through in the fact that, that Toby's development in his grievance has been very different to the way that you and I have dealt with it. Well, I, I love that. And, um, and I think what, what you're both pointing to is the fact that grief is a transition, you know, that it's so individual. And I know that I've heard you both talk about this before and the journey that, that all all of us have taken because you know my grief in there too everybody in the family's grief anybody who knew him we're all on our own journey moment to moment aren't we and um what what i love is that i heard you say barney that claire kept pointing back to you that it's okay not to be okay and and that's what I saw time and time again, the recognition that it's all right. You don't have to be anything. You can just be you. And um and, and I know this is sort of on a personal note that I know that people might think about the Arimar sisters and that we talk about everything and maybe too much and too openly, but uh, you know, here we are having this podcast episode, you know, what's wrong with talking? And I think what you're saying, Barney, is that that's been an integral part of your development is your ability to talk to your mum at any time about anything. A hundred percent. I think with, I think with it, it's like a, uh, the way that I've always thought of, of kind of dealing with suicide is it's like a, it's like having a disease. It's it, it, without treatment, it gets worse. If you allow it, if you leave it and do nothing with it, it manifests into something much, much worse. And it's keeping, keeping it as what it is, uh, not allowing the message to be mixed up with, with the interactions that you have with other people and, and use and feeling that it is the reason why things sometimes don't work. And not, not to, not to kind of devalue people who it, it has taken, it has had that effect on that. It, it has affected the things they do day to day and some things that I'm able to do. But for me, it's definitely been that to keep it separate is so much part of your life, but it's so important to understand that that is a thing that has happened. It isn't who you are, 
it, Absolutely. It's not allowing it to define you, but Absolutely. allowing it to be part of your character at the same time, if, you, if, if that makes any sense. I think that makes complete sense. Claire, did you want to come in? Uh, just to your point, Marie, uh, with knowing that I was going to do this with you, I spoke to Finlay, who is the youngest son, as you know, and he is 18 and he was very young when it happened. Uh, and he, uh, I asked him how he felt it had been for him. And his answer was that we kept it away from him, but gave him the opportunity to talk to him about it if he wanted to. And he says that's his memory, that he wasn't really involved, but he could be if he wanted to be. And and I thought, well, that's really nice. I'm glad that that's how, how he felt about it. Yeah, I think that's lovely. And I think that's real testament to the four of you. And I think one of the things I wanted to move on to was, um, Barney, you said to me very clearly when you were 16 or 17 years old, you said, you know, it's it's been it's been great. You know, what mum's done for us has been huge. But mum needs to pick up the pieces of her own life now. Mum needs to start um, living again. And, and I'd really love for you to, to talk to me about that. And then maybe, Claire, you might come in with, with your take on that at that point in your life. I, yeah, I, I remember it very clearly, actually. I remember, I remember almost selfishly feeling quite angry about it, that you know in the in the way that when someone gets you a christmas present that's that's too extravagant and you feel almost guilty for taking it and i don't know i i feel that it it was only at that point that i really realized like wow this isn't just about me and toby like there's everyone around you is that has had any interaction with this person be it minor or major you they have a grief of their own form and seeing that and starting kind of as you come into adulthood and seeing that actually this person is putting all of their energy into taking care of these these two sons that have lost their dad and then this a third son who is trying to also become adjusted to what's happening i mean it may not be his father but it is still his brothers and his mother and and seeing the the sheer amount of effort and energy going into that, it, 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 it really made me think, I was like, well, at what point am I at now? Like, where am I? Do I feel comfortable in my grief? Do I feel that I can manage it independently? And the answer to that was yes. And I thought, well, of course, she's always going to be there if I need support with that. And I was like, but what about her? You know that that she is. What time has she had? You know this. This was you know eight or nine years later after after the event. But she's still putting all of her effort into this. And at what point is she going to take the time? And I remember just feeling somewhat guilty about it. But it is like I said earlier. It takes work, and the difficulty of it being with your children as opposed to. Uh, a sibling or or you know someone of a similar age or of less responsibility to you um is that the all your energy is going to go into it you're you're guiding these two boys through the woods on on this this path that you have no idea where it's going you only know that there's you know thorns and poison ivy down there there's there's not going to be very many flowers or you know nice little clearings or deer and and that it just requires so much effort and and to see someone almost 
not having a life because they're trying to give you yours is it makes you feel guilty and 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 also, so you wanted to you yeah. wanted to it was time for you to say mum enough so so, so claire you know what what did that feel like um for you and 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 i know that you took some time to recognize what was going on for you in your own life at that point yeah didn't, didn't you so I was able to, uh, I was able to uh, grieve. I think in hindsight, I never grieved till much too late. I, I, I grieved vicariously through my children, but never actually dealt with it myself till very recently, actually. But I was able to find people like yourself and Pam and talk to them away from the boys. But I got a great deal of comfort out of looking after the boys. That Because as a parent, that's how, what I feel I'm all about. That is, I chose to have three children and I didn't do that lightly. And I know they are, they're like my project until they no longer need me. And that's the best, that's my ideal of parenting is that you get them to a point where they don't need you anymore, really. And somebody asked me recently about it, and this is going to sound mad to you all, but it makes it, I understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> In some ways, it was a gift because parents throughout the land have to guess whether their parenting is good enough. Am I doing okay? I know I did it okay because I had the most hideous exam, if you like, to sit and I passed it and they're okay. So it's, it's a bit of a, a gift in a way because I know my parenting works. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. It really does. And um you know, and it points back to all those fears that you had early on, you know, are they going to fail at school because of this? Are they, you know, are they going to end up drug addicts? And, you know, all these, you know, we can really catastrophize, can't we, about, mm. you know, and, and none of that came out. All the lads are doing brilliantly, you know, and just going on their own journeys. But I guess what I'm also interested in is, is how did you start to pick up your own life again? So I mean, probably more on a practical level, like I know that you're a volunteer DJ, you know, you, Claire came back because Claire Arimar is, is a, is a great personality. You know, when Claire Arimar is in the room, you know it, and that's a compliment. You know? And so, <laughs> so how did you, how did you start to recognize that it was time for, the world to have Claire again? Um, at just their ages, pure and simple. As they became less and less dependent, I didn't have to do, I didn't have to worry so much. As they became older and older and I could see that they were okay, it meant that I could let go a bit more and let go a bit more and let go a bit more. And um, uh, I think I've really, that, that was a slow process. And I think the final piece of it was in 2017 when Toby finally let go. I, I absolutely felt like a switch go in my head where I could sort of go, ah, I can now do whatever I want because he was the final sort of piece. Um, I don't know if Barney has any opinion on that, but that bit in 2017 when together they read the suicide note, that was like closing a, a book and thinking, okay, I can move away now. Is that something that you would like to share with us, Barney, what Claire's talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so 
I'll, I suppose I'll give a little introduction as to the, I'll set the scene. So <laughs> it's it's Christmas Eve <laughs> um, uh, in 2017. We've been at this. Me and Toby had kind of had this conversation, and 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 Mum had come over to me and said, "I think Toby wants to read the letter." Uh, you know, the 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 kind of last note, as it were. And, and can I just explain that, that that had never been read? Yeah. You had had so, that from the age of nine and 12, and it was it was sitting there, and you had said, I'm going to wait for yeah. Toby. It was, it was kind of a unspoken, between me and Toby, I'd never explicitly said to him that I will never read it until you read it. I don't want to hold be holding that secret from you. Um, and we kind of reached that point and Toby came over to me that evening and he, he said to me, Oh, I'm not sure. Like I'm, I'm getting a bit kind of cold feet. And I said, Oh, well, you know, if you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. it you know, it's not going to burst into flames at midnight. Like it's still going to be there. We can read it at any point. And then we went, I was live, this is in Bournemouth and I was, I had my student house just around the corner and um, we went there and, and Toby took it out I, I had it on me and I I said you you'll you you read it and he read it out loud um and it was a very like a euphoric experience it was very strange kind of seeing the it's like putting the last piece in the jigsaw puzzle you you see the whole picture um and since then it's just never been the same for the best undoubtedly and and as, as Claire was just saying, for both of you, I think that's fair to say it was a real in, in, insightful moment. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, when this podcast episode launches and, and is aired, um, I, I suspect there might be feedback that there's so much more of a conversation that we could be having. So maybe we'll do two or three episodes of this story. But I really wanted to start... Um, as we as we wrap up our conversation together, I just wonder, and I want to ask you both, you know, what would you say to anyone who shies away from the stigma of suicide or anyone who feels overwhelmed by the loss of, of somebody close to them through them, to them actually taking their own lives? So whether they are the child or they're the parent. Um, my advice to anyone is to just say it out loud to somebody. Just say it out loud to somebody, uh, uh, because if you keep it in, it will fester. Just say it out loud to someone. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. I think I think um, the only way to do it is to vocalise it. If you if 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 it isn't a dirty secret and it isn't, there's no then there's no guilt around it. And the hardest thing about it is guilt. Always yeah. the hardest thing about suicide is, is what could I have done? How could I have changed that? Like me at nine years old thinking, how could I have changed that? Of course, there's nothing you can do. You are helpless. But, but if you vocalize it, then not only does it make the problem of dealing with it easier, it also make, humanizes the person that did it. And often that is a problem, that, that it is passed over, that that person actually existed. You said you said um, before because I, I I do want to say that you both did um, a discussion I think for an hour on Chaos TV, which uh, and I think Barney you'll explain in a minute. And Barney, you said which really struck me. You said, "How can you blame somebody when you have no understanding of why they did it?" Yeah, it's um, it's like 
it's like being angry at the sun for being hot. It, <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. Like you don't, if you don't know why, of course you're never, you, you may be angry, but it's never going to be that kind of like spiteful rage because you, you, you will never know what was going through that person's head. Unless you have a time machine and a telepathic, you're never going to understand. No, that's because right. Because that, it's such a situational thing. Like, you know, it, how could the course of events, people think that it's, you know, oh, they took this medication, it drove them crazy, or, you know, they did this, they did that. It's not a single thing. You know, it's a, it's a, there's a thousand different inputs that make, that accumulate into that kind of desperation and depression. And how can you ever be angry at something that you cannot, just because you don't understand it? And I think that's where a lot of the anger comes from. You don't understand it. Um, I would just like to say one last thing um, for me is uh, we try to judge him as he lived, not as he died. And uh, some of the great things that he did and his abilities. So we try and judge him like that, not, not as he died, but as he had lived. Uh, so that's a really, really beautiful way to end this conversation. Um, thank you both so much for talking to me. Uh, it's such a pleasure, you know, just to be with you guys as always. If anybody wanted to talk to either of you about your experience or if they, if they wanted to reach out just for a bit of support, would you be open to that? And how would you say people should get hold of you? Claire? Uh, well, I think the best way is to do it through Chaos TV and uh, because they have access to lots of agencies. So I would suggest Barney gives you an email address. Yeah. So Barney, could you just explain quickly just explain what chaos tv is and i'll put a link in okay so chaos uh chaos tv is part of the chaos group which is a um a kind of community outreach uh, uh charity um so they basically provide assistance and support for anyone if you if it's mental health physical disability um elderly care anything um and um they have a lot of ties to kind of uh mental health charities especially kind of mental uh, men's mental health support groups um so they're a really good charity if, if you're struggling with any of the issues or you're just trying to kind of develop your understanding um they're a really good company to get in contact with um you can contact me directly on my work email which is barney b-a-r-n-e-y at chaosgroupcornwall.co.uk um and just email me and i'll either if it's a personal question i'll answer it and if it's just to get in contact with the correct kind of support networks everything i would be more than happy to help oh thank you both it's been really really lovely chatting to you cheers thank you bye you've been listening to precarious parenting by realization works subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.